Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Emily Lawford, Assistant Editor at Prospect, and today I'm hosting a conversation. I'm asking, in the year of its 20th anniversary, is Love Actually actually a good film or a terrible one? I'm with Sarah Collins and Pete Hoskin. Sarah, tell us why you like Love Actually. Um, I love Love Actually because it was a film that I feel like defined my teenage years. I lived in a bubble of illusion that my life would consist of dating either... Hugh Grant as the Prime Minister or Colin Firth as a novelist and that I'd rescue him from his heartbreak, that men would run through airports for me, that I would live this life in my 20s of romantic excitement and, yeah, it was a sort of defining film. It meant it was Christmas to me, it was romance to me. And Pete, you don't like love, actually. Why not? No, I very very much hate, actually. Um... (laughs) So um, I think I think in a way there's two cases to prosecute. One is the fact that it's tremendously dated. And I think we should point out here that it's it's 20 years old this year, so it's, it's 20th anniversary. But when I watch Love Actually, it's, I don't know, it's like watching one of those very, very old Tom and Jerry cartoons or Popeye cartoons where they now put a warning at the beginning of them saying, like, the views expressed in this cartoon are not simpatico with modern beliefs you know they, they kind of put a, a trigger warning at the front of cartoons from like the kind of 40s and 50s um saying that you'll see things that you won't like um and love actually is only 20 years old and yet i feel it should kind of have that trigger warning at the beginning i think that's the first case that needs prosecuting that is it's tremendously out of date it's quite misogynist it's quite classist it's very smug and i'm, I'm also actually surprised that, like i'm at least 10 years older than Sarah and I'm a bloke and yet like I'm picking up on these things that that really really chafe with me and obviously don't chafe for Sarah. The other case I think um, for the prosecution is that it's just a bad movie and we can get into it more but I think it's fundamentally like a comedy that doesn't work as a comedy, it's a romantic film, a love film that doesn't work as a love film, it's, it's unfunny, it's creepy, it's quite badly written and, and I say that as someone you know it's, it's directed and I think written by Richard Curtis the guy behind Blackadder behind Four Weddings and a Funeral and, and those thing, two things I've just mentioned I absolutely love so this is not kind of like film snobbery on my part it's just as a film. Sarah what would you say to that? Well I'd like to start with the first element of Pete's prosecution which Pete's trying to get me cancelled here which is not very collegiate when we're on a podcast together, I do recognise that the film is creepy, it's misogynist, 
I can see that some of the feelings that I have even today about worrying about my weight come from films like that. Everybody's called fat when they are a normal woman. The sad boy character is incredibly creepy. There is so much misogyny in this film and there is also elitism. But I think people are making the mistake of asking, is this a film that I like politically rather than is this a good film? And I can recognise that it's terrible for all those reasons. I'd be happy for a trigger warning to be put at the front of it, but it still stands that it is just a cracking watch. It's really enjoyable. And I think some of the relationships in it are more nuanced than others. And some of them explore gender in a slightly more interesting way. So I would say the first accusation that Pete's making isn't necessarily relevant to the question of, is it a good film? So Pete, on the subject of quality, you think it doesn't work. Why not? Sorry, can I just hit back (laughs) directly at Sarah there before we get on to to the issue of quality? Because I think the, the idea of saying the kind of the morals and ethics of a film do not matter... It's a bit like saying that D.W. Griffith's uh, Birth of a Nation, which is horrendously racist and celebrates the KKK, is is a good film because it uh, <laughs> revolutionised film editing, which it did. Or Triumph of the Will, Laney Riefenstahl's film, is good because it, it sort of conveys power and strength, which it did. Although it's about the Nazis. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comparing Love Actually to those you things. Are, you are. <laughs> but, That's the position you've got yourself into this early on in the podcast. But I would say, so someone who supports me on the fact that Love, Love Actually is disappointing in many ways is Richard Curtis. So barely a year goes by without him... Um, sort of decrying some aspect of the film and wishing that he'd done it differently. So you, you've mentioned the the sort of fat-shaming aspects. That's where there's a, there's a scene... One male character actually is kind of called fat casually throughout the whole film. But in particular, there's a scene in which um, Prime Minister Hugh Grant's assistant starts talking about the I don't, tea lady, for want of a better term, at number 10, who's played by radiantly beautiful Martine McCutcheon um, and the assistant refers to Martine McCutcheon's thighs and butt and all of these things yeah. as like huge although this a is pretty Martine... sizable ass I think is what she a pretty sizable ass um, which is pretty bad by the standards of modernity and and Richard Curtis himself has um, recused himself of that and said he wished he'd have done that differently he's spoken to his daughter in the years since he also says that he wishes the film were more diverse this is a film with like um there are you know there are actors of color but not many and certainly not in the main roles uh where everyone is kind of white and is also playing a kind of upper middle class liberal elite londonish character um and um he, he's also said i think that he would um yeah he, he's he re- um, regrets the fact that he cut out an lgbtq uh storyline as well because all all the relationships are very heteronormative um so so richard curtis supports me on this um he doesn't think it's irrelevant to the film in also subsequent work he has uh tried to do things differently he's got like a christmasy film out i think this year um i think i could be wrong um but he 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 said basically that he's, he's doing things differently now um so i i don't think it's irrelevant um i also think as well like you know you said yourself it made you think differently about your own body <laughs> like that's that's quite bad um and i should say so we all watched this i think last night um the day before recording this podcast and um i I watched it with my wife and she was aghast at the sexual politics in that film you know i i don't think this is just something that we can sweep aside like this is 
Um, this is the film entirely from the point of view of a, a man in his 50s. And, and I don't know how old Richard Curtis was at the time, but like most of the main male characters seem like they're in their 50s. Most of the shots, even the shot choice, um, seem like it's it's through the eyes of men in their 50s and it i don't know this is i i feel like so much of it is lust actually um where um <laughs> it's 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 men looking at women and it's quite dodgy um sorry i feel like i'm i'm going on now but one so one thing i will add in this respect is colin first storyline we have many storylines one of the 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 fundamental aspects of the film is it's sort of weirdly episodic nature yeah. lots of great actors lots of little storylines going on compliments for it in there i know uh there will be more compliments coming on i don't i don't totally hate this film but with uh the colin firth storyline um my wife and i were watching this last night and we were sort of saying oh this storyline's grim oh that's disgusting this is dated badly and then it got to colin firth and we said oh this is quite sweet actually like his storyline basically starts off he finds out his wife is cheating on him with his brother so he goes off to some writer's shack cottage somewhere in france i think um and a portuguese um cleaner at his house and we, we said like okay this is quite sweet oh we're slightly thinking oh you know here is a kind of well-off writer and a cleaner it's all a bit sort of some weird class dynamics going on but we thought fundamentally this is okay we quite were quite into the romantic colin firth storyline and then it gets to a scene where he drops his his notes for his draft of his novel or whatever it is in a pond and then two sins are committed one is that we don't actually get a reference to Colin Firth coming out of the water. He jumps in this pond yeah. and we don't get a Pride and Prejudice reference. He doesn't emerge from the pond in his still dripping clothing. Excellent which, point. <laughs> which would be funny and approved by many <laughs> ladies in the audience, I guess. But also, the first person to dive into the water is the Portuguese cleaner. And she takes off all her clothes. Well, she takes off all her Not clothes, all apart, from, apart from her underwear. The camera before she jumps in the water, pans up and down her body. It dwells on the fact that she has a tattoo on her lower back. And I think actually this, it almost sums up the film for me. Not only is it very male gaze, it's it's also, this is the point of view of the Colin Firth character. The one who, in the whole film who up until now has seemed quite nice, quite decent, has been wronged. And the camera going up and down this woman's body dwelling on particular parts that is colin firth's point of view so it's kind of like it's it's grim but it's also bad filmmaking like in that moment we're meant to believe that colin firth is a lech which i don't i don't think the film wants you to believe then she jumps in the pool i have to come back on so many points here emily if you'll allow me but the first one i would say is that i find it really interesting that the fact that we notice those things and we have those discussions and we feel that way is necessarily seen as a bad thing. I think it's an artefact of its time. It's a film from 20 years ago. It's an artefact of the culture that we grew up in and to pretend that we didn't live through that culture and we didn't experience that, this wasn't the norm in all films, in all TV, everywhere, that the male gaze, we grew up under the male gaze, we saw the male gaze everywhere. It was not just in this film, it was the time. So I don't think that this is... It is an egregious example of that culture, but it is an artefact of a culture that shaped all of us. And to now be able to watch it 20 years on, not that I was... Oh, I was alive. Oh, my God, I'm so much older than I thought I was. I was like, I wasn't like, yes, Sarah, you're 27. You were alive, but I wasn't in a position to watch Love Actually, obviously, 20 years ago. But watching it now 
as a woman versus watching it growing up, you can see this artifact for what it was as a crystallization of a ubiquitous culture. And yes, an egregious example of it, but not an unusual example, not even in a gender setting or trend setting example. There were many films like that at that time. And yes, Richard Curtis made many of them, but so did so many others. So that, I think to erase that or to, to, to pin that on love actually when it was the dominant culture everywhere is wrong. It, it's an artefact of its time, and I think it's a really good artefact of its time. It's an artefact of a culture, and yes, film helps create culture, but all the films at that time created that culture, all the ones I saw. Not, I'm sure as a film critic you have the advantage of having seen many more films, but the films that I was exposed to. So I find those conversations moving, powerful, and I feel a huge relief when I watch that film. I think oh, I'm watching my experience growing up represented, but I'm also no longer living under that now. I'm no longer living in this world where we can't see why that's problematic. I don't think that makes it a bad film. I think it makes it a film that crystallises the culture in which it was made. And I welcome the conversations we have around it now. I feel, Sarah, I feel this is kind of us agreeing because you're saying it's an artefact of a bad culture. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just don't think that I don't watch it and think, gosh, it's good that it's opening me up to conversations and thoughts about that bad culture. I just think it's bad. You know, I don't have to agree with that. I, obviously, I, I don't agree with that culture. You don't agree with that culture. But I don't also don't have to think that love actually is good because of that. You know, the, the context in a way doesn't matter when we're talking about the one film in itself. Is that is it a good or bad film? I think it's kind of immoral. And I also think it's a bad film. So. Pete, do you think it's egregiously bad for its time of the rom-coms, mainstream rom-coms yes. of its time? Yeah. So I think I think there's two things in the word rom-com. One is romance, <laughs> and one is comedy. Um, I actually point. think I think on those I think it fails on both levels actually. So I'll waffle on a little bit more before Sarah can answer this. But like I almost think like what's romantic about that film, and what's comedic, and when it comes to the romance. Um, there's very little, actually. I, I think, um, so I would give credit to Love, actually. I think it's that it's most successful when it's not about men and women. I think it's most successful when it's about fathers and sons, brothers and sisters. There's a tremendous uh, little subplot with, um, I think it's Laura Linney and her brother who who's in a, um, in a hospital uh, for his mental health. Like, And, and it basically shows the different forms of love. I also think Emma Thompson comes out of that film tremendously well. Um, she is the 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 wrong part of a cheating relationship. Her husband cheats on her with a younger person at his office in what I think is one of the most egregiously bad storylines. Um, but wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but Emma Thompson um, has this wonderful moment at the end where she says to her says to her husband, who is Alan, played by Alan Rickman, like, "What should I do?" And she basically says, should I end it knowing all this? Or should I carry on? They have two children, um, or two or I don't know how many children. I think it's two. Um, she says, you know, should I carry on knowing that it's all going to be, be a little bit worse from now on? And I think that's tremendously moving. And I think it's tremendously moving when you see her meet her husband at the end of the film at the airport. Um, and it's a little bit sketchy between them. It's quite cold, but they're carrying on. And I think that is a form of love, um, just as when it shows the sort of brotherly, sisterly love. Um, but otherwise, when you're looking at straightforward romance, I go back to that Colin Firth scene, you know, like um, there's a it's him falling in love with 
is cleaner and it's all a little bit gross actually i keep saying something actually <laughs> that's accidental um but but ditto you know hugh grant and the cleaning lady it's all odd there's these odd moments where it's not it's not about love seemingly it's about lust which is fine um but the film has love in its title um and and it's also about weird sexual dynamics and power plays you know Hugh Grant realizes he's so into Martin McCutcheon that he basically has to have her moved with a number 10 and change her job like this is weird um and so little of it is actually romantic um and I think as well the the episodic nature of the film hurts it as well so like um I think there's eight or nine different storylines going on it always feels and I think it's true that everyone has about five minutes total screen time um and so it means that you never actually quite buy the fact that Hugh Grant's fallen in love with Martin McCutcheon they meet once oh my gosh now they're in love you know and Hugh Grant's dancing down the stairs in number 10 which is also quite a good scene but like you know um (laughs) but uh but um yeah, like you, you quite kind of don't buy into the conceit that these people are falling in and out of love so quickly. Um, the other thing, so sorry, I said there's two parts to rom com. The other is comedy. This is where I really challenge Sarah. Like, what's funny in that film? Like, I I I love Rowan Atkinson. His scene as a department store clerk or seller who fills a bag full of gift wrap something in the most extraordinary sort of elaborate way. It's quite good that's comedy bill nye's whole sequence as an aging rock star with a bad christmas number one single that's quite funny but everything else is just like i don't know i feel like the characters are meant to be funny within the film like the film is not telling jokes they are the characters are like they're just funny people so when liam neeson talks a lot about to his um stepson about like oh yeah i'd like to date claudia schiffer it's like he's meant to be a funny dude, but he's just not that funny. Um, like the film is not telling jokes. The characters are bad ones. And I just don't know what the kind of like laugh out loud moments are. So I don't think it succeeds as a rom. And I don't think it succeeds as a com. Sarah, tell us the romantic moments and the funny moments. Right. I couldn't agree less with what Pete's just said. And I want to start by saying that I think what he's just done is outrageous. And proves my point. He's just chosen the two funniest moments in the film and then been like, Oh, Sarah, list funny moments in the film, but not those two, because I've already mentioned them. The fact that you could so easily reel off two excellently funny characters, excellently funny plot lines, just to try and discount me from saying them, illustrates that you do... I don't even believe you're sincere. You do find the film funny. But anyway, first of all, to the romance, and actually, before I even go back to the romance, I want to go back one step further. I feel like what Pete has been talking about that he's been describing throughout this as a bad film is an imperfect film. Yes, it is deeply imperfect and the sexual politics of the film are probably overwhelmingly the worst aspect of it, but it's an imperfect but good film in a bad culture. That's my argument. But if Pete's going to try and come back on that, I need to go into romance. First of all, let's take aside all of the sexual politics that aspect of it it's a given that there is elitism that there are complex unfortunate horrible data dynamics that we wouldn't have in a film now but the Colin Firth and Aurelia storyline is romantic and I think Emily will agree with me but I have to go to her that what I love about this film is that it isn't 
She does agree with me. She's nodding and Pete's looking absolutely I haven't outraged. said anything. She, she is, she's, she's got, got a look of sheer agreement, agreement on That's her not my favourite storyline. The most romantic storyline in my... I like the Martin Freeman one. <gasps> oh, we haven't even touched on that one yet. Another great storyline. I, I do like the Martin Freeman one. <laughs> I think it's romantic and funny. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Um, what I love about Love Actually is that... Sorry, Sarah, can I interrupt you to yeah. say you can't say that the moderator <laughs> agrees with you and cast around for their support. Just just saying. <laughs> just an aside. <laughs> stop me. <laughs> um, no one is saying that love actually is an accurate description of what falling in love in a real relationship looks like. Of course, we only get a few seconds of screen time. Of course, it's full of cliches. Of course, people fall in love or lust at first sight. But at Christmas, I want to watch people fall in love at first sight. I want to watch the heights of my wildest dream of romantic things that would never happen happening. And the Colin Firth on Aurelia's storyline is absolutely exquisitely done. The fact that they're saying the same thing all the time in a different language, I absolutely love. The fact that when they drive home and they're in silence together and they've got that perfect, romantically tense silence of just simply dropping someone home in a car and everybody knows that feeling of being around someone that you fancy so much and not expressing it. I think that's a really accurate description. And then when he crashes his car and she walks away and she's crying, it is just... A beautiful romantic storyline and I have to bring in the soundtrack at this point which hasn't been brought up yet the soundtrack is extraordinary it is exquisite and some of the piano compositions that were made for the film are some of the most romantic piano compositions I've heard and again Pete's also a music expert so he's got an advantage on me on that and he's going to be able to come back on it but anyway <coughs> so first of all I would say that that whole storyline with Colin Firth and Aurelia, I absolutely love. It's gorgeous. It's not overdone, and that's the beauty of Colin Firth. It's not overblown. It's subtle. And the dynamic between them is genuinely cute. And Pete is looking at me with absolute contempt. But another romantic storyline, I do think the Emma Thompson storyline is romantic, not because her husband deserves her to take him back. I don't think he does, and frankly, I'd rather it if she left him. I really would. But then the love that she shows for him and the way that it's it's really unpleasant that she is defined by her character as a wife. It is so unpleasant. But that is what a lot of women have experienced and a lot of women at that time were experienced. It's that line that she adds when she says, you've made a mockery of the life I lead, the life in which she has made sacrifices in order to raise his children while he's a high-earning executive. That's the reality that many women live with. And I think that she represents that incredibly powerfully. It's not just about the fact that she loves him and her husband. It's also the fact that she's had to take on this role as the wife. Anyway, now I'm getting back into the gender politics. But I I think that the way that is presented is also an exquisite example of not romance, but romantic tragedy. The, the moment when you think your husband is giving you a gold necklace and you discover it's a Joni Mitchell CD and you have to hold it together and then go upstairs and cry and then come back down and be perfect with your children. You were, you were moved by that, Pete. I don't believe that you weren't moved by that scene. Emily, over to you on Martin Freeman. I just like that scene. I think it's <laughs> colleagues. I, I think it's colleagues. It's equal power dynamic. Yes. In fact, she's probably the higher earner there. <laughs> and I think that... It's sweet and it's cute. The the juxtaposition between them having being naked with each other and then being very shy and awkward and sweet is both funny and romantic. But I'm not defending the whole film, I'm impartial. After the break, we'll talk more about gender politics and love actually. 
But first, I'd like to tell you about a new offer. If you take out an annual digital subscription to Prospect, you'll enjoy one month's free digital access to all of the magazine's best long reads, commentary and cultural criticism. Sign up now at prospectmagazine.co.uk forward slash one month free. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right. So, Sarah, <laughs> I'm quite surprised that love actually inflames such passions, but maybe that's why it's worth talking about several things <laughs> in response to what you just said. First of all, there was not a trace of contempt on my face. I just want to make that absolutely clear. Um, I am not like Love Actually the film. I am respectful of all people around me. Secondly, so uh, I, I think actually, Sarah, we're agreeing very much on the Emma Thompson thing. I cited that. I said uh, Emma Thompson comes out of the film the best. Um, I think her storyline is moving. I would accept that. I think she fits into that dynamic I, I picked up on, which is when it's not just about straightforwardly about men gazing on women, the film's at its strongest then. Um, so, um, okay, she's in a relationship with a man, Alan Rickman, but her half of it is not just about like, oh, there's a hottie over there. Um, her half is the sort of more complicated half of it. I, I, th- I think that's a tremendous storyline. And and actually, if, if, you could, if I could keep only one thing from Love Actually, it would be the whole Emma Thompson half of that equation. Um, I think, I mean, we may just have to beg to differ on the Colin Firth thing. Like, um, <laughs> I, I like that guy in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but otherwise his charms slightly elude me. Um, <gasps> oh, no. Pete, Pete no. I just, I don't that's... think you can make comments like that. <laughs> okay. I've got to intervene that's... as a moderator. <laughs> that... Men shouldn't be making that kind of call. <laughs> okay, that's clearly a whole other podcast. Um, but so so I'll, 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 I'll sort of gloss over that and I won't ask Sarah whether she, she liked the Colin Firth character to gazing so um <laughs> so, so lo- longingly at that um the the tattoo on uh, Aurelia's lower back um yeah okay and uh, so um but i but i would say you know like i think this is why again why love actually is worth talking about is because it's a film of both things you know i i think it has it has it does have its moments and and i'd agree with you the soundtrack great you know i i love that girls allowed cover of jump yeah. um uses 
<laughs> the Beach Boys very well. I'm not so sure about Sarah's rendition of the girls allowed cover of Jump. Um, but but you know like uh, that's that's one of them soundtracks that people bought and listened to. Um, you know it, it does have great moments. Um, and and I've already said the Emma Thompson. Maybe we can talk a little bit more actually about the the, the sort of mental health dynamics because I should say that, that Sarah is our mindful life columnist so so uh thinks and writes a lot about mental health and I, i'd be interested in your views on that because because I, I think it does that stuff fairly well actually the idea of caring yes. for somebody um so we're not in disagreement on a lot of these things but i think i think where where we probably differ is is all of the the, the positives outweigh the negative it's as simple as that you know and and i think you're what i'm hearing from you a lot sarah is yes the sexual politics are terrible yes it's a product of its times yes a lot of it's awful and i just hear these kind of like moments of agreement for you with me and then you say but <laughs> bill nye is quite funny and and i just don't think that what comes after the but really justifies the stuff before it and and i don't really think you could convince me otherwise and that's not because i'm no i don't, I don't mean you specifically i just mean i could never be convinced otherwise because because I, I just think it's quite plain that the 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 positives don't outweigh the negatives with this one um but like i say i think there's something there and it's worth engaging with it's worth engaging with not because it's so popular like obviously for a lot of people this film means a lot um and it's worth engaging with because richard Curtis is a serious artist like um you know some of the stuff he's done is great and and i watch love actually and i almost hate feeling so bad about it because i know like i couldn't write love actually i couldn't write for when he's a film i certainly couldn't write Balakada. like that guy's talented i just think he really did a bad thing with that film oh, i think that's far too far and i want to talk about this is a bit of an aside but I want to talk about the sad boy character in Love Actually and how... I've forgotten what his name is. Emily, can you remember him? So we're talking about the character who goes to his best friend's wife's house and holds up a series of signs telling her he loves her after filming her for the whole wedding ceremony. Are you about to defend him? That feels very much like Emily's taking Pete's side. And I should let listeners know that the pair of them are actually sitting together on the other side of the desk, staring me down in what isn't really a great debating atmosphere. But I I hate that character. I absolutely hate that character. And I would say the funniest moment of the film is an accidental... I don't think you're supposed to laugh at it. But the funniest moment in, in the film is when he drops to his knees in public on the pavement and bounces. He kind of crouches down and then bounces back up again because he's so upset and embarrassed about Kira Knightley having realised that he filmed her for the whole of the wedding day. That is genuinely, we're supposed to feel his pain. I didn't feel his pain. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. But I think that character is an incel. I think he's a classic incel sad boy and i don't think we are in the film is necessarily endorsing him pete is cheering he's doing he's because you're supporting my argument i'm not supporting your argument because i think it's a really good representation of a, a sad boy and i would say the sad boy has become a real cultural phenomenon of greater prominence in our times and i think we're seeing the precursor of it very well accurately represented there so just for clarity for those who haven't seen love actually kira knightley who's the actress this is he's played by andrew lincoln i forget the the character's name 
But when he holds up his signs and professes his love for her and the fact that he's being creepy around her, and the wife of his best friend, and he filmed their wedding, and as Emily says, all the shots were of Kira Knightley in close-up, which is very creepy behaviour. Kira Knightley does not say, hang on, <laughs> I never want to see you again. She runs out into the street as he's leaving and plants a kiss on his lips, a sort of tender, loving, friendly little kiss. Um, and he goes away and, and I think his words are, that's enough. It's like enough he's now. Enough, enough now. Yeah, so so he, he is satisfied by the way in which Kira Knightley has responded. I don't think there is any way in which this is prediction of a future trend. I don't think there's any way in which this is a comment upon society. I think this is love, actually, as the film says. I think this is another Richard Curtis's spin on another angle of love. This is unrequited love. It's just another one of the tick box loves that he's ticking off. Um, it may be it may be useful as a way of discussing those things. It may be it may preempt these things unintentionally. And, and you said the word, you know, one of the funniest things, although I don't think it's meant to be funny. Like there's a lot about love actually that's worth it unintentionally, but intentionally I think we're meant to think, oh gosh, isn't that romantic? And it's not, it's gross. I, I don't think it is all unromantic and all of it's gross. I don't agree with that. And we come I, to that. that character and that's it. That character, 90% of it is gross. But I have to be honest, when I was 15, was my Facebook cover photo a screenshot of him holding up? To me, you are perfect. I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> I can neither confirm or deny. So yes, with the benefit of being 27 years of age, I can see that it was creepy. But when I was 15, it was romantic. And you know what, Pete? It's Christmas. It's I watch it on the 24th of December. And it's a really nice kind of reminder of that teenage self. Sarah, as a moderator, I've got to ask, did you pause the film, screenshot it and then crop it? Or did you find the picture online? Found the picture online. It's a little better, but not much. (laughs) So I feel like I have to defend that 15 year old who did find that romantic. Sarah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, I just, I feel slightly, um, the purpose of these conversations is to hopefully find some common ground. And I feel the more you reveal about your Andrew Lincoln screensavers, (laughs) the more we're not going to find common ground. So I think in in a vain, potentially vain attempt to, to, to do that, can, do, do we agree that maybe the film is more interesting where it's not about middle-aged men and younger women and it's not about this guy lasting, lusting after that girl. Is it a bit more interesting when it's about brothers, sisters, father, sons? I mean, I think that's the case. And, uh, but I don't just mean interesting. I mean, good. <laughs> I don't agree because the truth is, the reality is it might not be nice, it might not be pleasant, but that is the reality of the misogynistic world that we live in. Thankfully, it's getting less and less so, but those kind of sexual politics i think we pretend now that we live in a world where they don't exist anymore i think they do so i i do still find it interesting on that turf but i will agree i think where we are agreeing is that emma thompson's is the best storyline we are agreeing that it's problematic and that it's a representation of a terrible culture and we are agreeing that colin firth is an incredibly incredibly attractive attractive character yeah we are agreeing (laughs) 
<laughs> what an Or maybe Hugh Grant's moisture taste. Another excellent. You can't say that that character isn't attractive. It might be problematic. It might not be okay. But he is a self-deprecating, bumbling, but extremely beautiful man going round to Martine McCutcheon's door and talking to her family. You can't say that you, if you were that you don't find that romantic. I just don't believe you. Can I say, so <laughs> we're really not finding common ground. Uh, my least favourite aspect of that film might be part of the Hugh Grant storyline. Actually, it's not my least favourite, but I think it's quite emblematic. Is um, when Hugh Grant's big moment yeah. is when, apart from his dancing down the stairs at Downing Street, is when the US president, played by Billy Bob Thornton, comes over. And this, we should remember, is so Love Actually is from 2003. So we're in the very aftermath of uh, 9-11, we're during the war on terror, it's Bush and Blair, that's the political context. And actually, I think we keep saying, or I keep saying the word gross, I think one of the grossest aspects of the film is when it ties itself to 9-11 directly at the beginning and um, says about, you know, you never... Um, you, when if you go to the Heathrow and the arrivals gate, you see people hugging each other, and it says, "Oh, and none of the messages from the planes on 9/11 were messages of hate; they were all of love." That is very, very awful and tragic. Piggybacking on a on something horrendous uh, by a film, but I but but that is the political context, and the film makes quite a lot of it. And Billy Bob Thornton, as the U.S. president, is meant to be George Bush. That's the thing. And that's what gives Hugh Grant his big opportunity. He is like Tony Blair, but better because he doesn't join Bush. He has a speech at number 10 where he says, you know, you won't bully us around anymore. We're the country of um, Emily, our moderator, could quote this directly because <laughs> she was quoting it. David Beckham's right foot, David Beckham's left foot. <laughs> Uh, and many other things so um so and, and everyone cheers him and this is great because he's said no to um to uh, george bush basically and i i, I that annoys me too <laughs> because th there's a moment where we're meant we're meant to sort of get the measure of the bush alike president when he is trying it on with martin mccutcheon and hugh grant walks in on them and the billy bob Thornton character is obviously lent in for some purpose with Martin McCutcheon and she looks very embarrassed and flustered and rushes off. Um, but the president that that made me think of was not George Bush, but was Bill Clinton. <laughs> you know, like it was very Monica Lewinsky. And yet this film has the, I, I'd almost call it temerity and arrogance um, to, to basically make him George Bush. Like when actually that's bill clinton but its politics are its politics are not in that place it's quite smug in its politics it's kind of it's so self-satisfied and and okay maybe i shouldn't let that spoil the whole hugh grant storyline for me but it does <laughs> you shouldn't i it's a bad politics it's a bad culture i say it again it's an imperfect film but i you cannot say that you don't love the dance the dance is genius the dance and the way that his secretary responds to it, it's so British. And that is, I just think there's a real element of British humour there, perfectly encapsulated. But we're never going to agree on that. But we will agree it's bad politics, it's sexist, it's elitist, it's fat shaming in a way that has genuinely impacted many women really badly. But I hate to say it, it's still my favourite Christmas film. On the point of that, I would say the Americans made another version of it called Valentine's Day, and it is so much worse on every level. So, yeah, what's your name? A better Christmas rom com? 
name one that's less problematic that doesn't have the same gender politics politics issues and is has more artistic merit i'd say it's a wonderful life is a rom-com um but i I can certainly without the com bits i can certainly name more roms um christmas holiday robert siodmak is one of my favorite films um oh uh shop around the corner there we go that's a rom-com and it's what you've got mail is based on um with jimmy stewart there we go you've got mail is another unbelievably problematic film so i haven't seen that one i'll have to watch it well you should watch the shop around the corner i think and then we can have another podcast next year (laughs) about that one well thank you both thank you sarah for watching it and thank you pete for suffering through it and for listeners at home grab a copy of our latest issue of prospect magazine which includes sam friedman on 13 and a half years of tory failure an advent calendar from cartoonist steve bell Rowan Moore on whether Harold Harold Macmillan could solve today's housing crisis and Miriam Margos on why she's the poor man's Joanna Lumley. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.